Hello, Molo, Sawbona, Jumbo, and welcome to Every Nation Durban. We are part of a global family of churches with the purpose to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. You can find us in big cities like London, New York, Paris and Joburg. You can also find us in nations like Bangladesh, Botswana, China and even Hawaii. In Durban, we have a local vision of being a healthy church that starts other healthy churches. Our mission is reach, disciple, impact. We want to reach every person, every campus, and every nation. Join this mission to honor God and advance His kingdom. Good morning, everyone. Woo! It's a bit of an echo there. Are we good? There we are. Wonderful, wonderful. Come on. Thank you, worship team, this morning. We really appreciate you guys and your labor and just how much you set the atmosphere so good to worship the Lord and sing praise together. Amen? Come on. Um, so if you have a Bible, open it, please, to the book of the Revelation. We're going to continue our series this morning on the end times. That's what we're talking about as a church. And, um, you know, the Bible, just so everybody does know, does talk about the end times. The Bible does, you know, Hollywood tells us that the, the world is going to end when uh, aliens invade, or there's a tsunami that's going to come, or there's going to be an earthquake or an asteroid and Bruce Willis will be there or Will Smith will be there to kind of save the day. <laughs> it's quite interesting that we have so many movies in Hollywood that talk about the end of the world. Hey, and we love them. You know, these apocalyptic kind of movies of like how the world ends and, you know, there's like someone who's going to get us on a spaceship and get us out of here just before the aliens take over or something like that. You know, that's, we love these things. And, and you've got to ask like, why, why do we, why do we, Imagine or fantasize, fantasize the, the end of the world is, is, I think it's because it's ingrown or it's deep seated within us that we know that things cannot last the way they are at the moment. There is this understanding even in, um, unredeemed man that somehow this has to end. That somehow there's got to be another life after this that's better than this. Somehow this, this is not all that actually is. And so the Bible actually gives us that. It tells us how the world is going to end and it talks about the age to come and how heaven and earth become united and we live in this unbroken fellowship with God in the future. And so the, so the Bible talks about that, but it also talks about what are the signs of the end times. And the reason why the Bible does that is not to make us fearful so that we just sit and live in fear like, oh no, is this the end? But rather, it's, it's so that we can live in such a way that we can enter into eternity with rewards, so that we can know what is to come, that we can look forward to the day of Jesus Christ when He puts everything straight and right. And so, you know, the attitude of the New Testament is watch and pray. Because the day of the Lord can come like the thief in the night. It can be today. And we're supposed to be living in such a way that like if Jesus was to... He could come back today, people. And if He comes back today, that we are fully ready for it. Amen? 
So we've spoken in the series about the um, the mark of the beast, and we've cleared up any, like any sort of misunderstanding there might be that the COVID-19 vaccine is the mark of the beast. We we know it's not. Okay, amen. And um, and we've spoken also last week. I spoke about the Antichrist or or the beast um, that's going to come in the in the last days. The, the Bible does talks about the spirit of the Antichrist that's at work in the nations. It talks about types of Antichrist, many types of Antichrist that have emerged and will emerge. But then it also talks about this final Antichrist that will also come. And today, what I want to talk about is uh, is is what the Bible calls an end times deception. In Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, it says the following. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, talking about the day that the Antichrist comes and, and Jesus Christ then comes after that, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So Jesus will not come back until there is this falling away. The Bible talks about this falling away or this end times deception. And then there's this revealing of an antichrist. And, uh, and then we know Jesus does come and destroys him with what? The breath of his mouth. <laughs> so we know, having gone through the last couple of weeks, that the antichrist is not yet. And we know that the mark of the beast is not yet. But what we did learn in the last couple of weeks is that, man, we're living in times where if ever it was plausible that a mark of the beast could emerge, it's, it's kind of in these times now. And if, and, and, and if there ever was to be some sort of global empire person like the Antichrist, it, it, it looks like the stage is being set for something like that right now. But the question then is, well, when is this falling away? And how would we know it? And what are some of the markers about it? How could we prepare ourselves for this falling away? What exactly is it? And that's really the topic of what I want to go into this morning. And we've been basing ourselves so far in the book of the Revelation in chapter 13. We've been using that as our anchor. Today, what I want to do is I want to just go one chapter before that to chapter 12 as our main text reading. But before we open the word, let's just take a moment and pray. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe that your plans for us are good and that everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life, it brings healing and direction. And so we treasure it more than our daily bread. And we boldly confess this morning that our minds are alert, our hearts are receptive, and we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. So if you have a Bible, let's go to Revelation 12, and we're going to read from verse 7 to 9. And then we'll read verse 12 as well. It says the following, And war broke out in heaven. Isn't that quite hectic? Just stop and pause on that for a moment. I don't know what your understanding of heaven is, but like this is, this is something that should not happen in heaven. Amen? Alright, so war broke out. We're in heaven. Wow, that's really got my attention. 
And it says the following, Michael, who we know is an archangel, and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and the angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast where? To the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. Jump to verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. So there's a rejoicing. The battle was won in heaven. Yeah, victory. And then it says, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. So what we learn about this, this, just this passage alone gives us incredible context, spiritual context for the world that we live in right now. We learn in this that there was a rebellion in heaven. We learn from this and other scriptures in Isaiah 14 that we see Satan got a God complex. He really was, he was called Lucifer before he became Satan. He was one of the highest angels. He got a God complex. He thought that he could overthrow the throne of God. He led a rebellion which took one third of all the angels with him. He deceived them into somehow thinking that they could all rise up and take heaven and take the throne of God. But Michael defeated him and they were cast down to the earth and it's like, yes, the victory is won. But there's a woe in there, and the woe is for us, the inhabitants of the earth. Why? Because that terrorist, of all terrorists, has arrived on earth, and his wrath is great, and he knows his time is short. And so he is busy at work on the earth. And so in this passage, what we see there, verse 9, is that he is credited as being the one who deceives the whole world. So Satan is global in his operandi, okay, in his modus operandi. He is global and he is, his, his title here, or he's, he's credited here infamously as the one who deceives the whole world. Later on in, in the book of the Revelation, what we see is he's called the deceiver of nations. Elsewhere in scripture, he's known as the deceiver. And so we kind of get an idea of this is his job title, if you like. This is what he does. He deceives. He's a deceiver. And the first mention, if we, if we then go from this moment, this is kind of like all pre-Genesis. If we now go from Revelation 12 and we jump to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, what we see suddenly is that this deceiver gets busy doing what? Deceiving. <laughs> His first action, alright, in the opening play of humanity and on earth is that he comes into the garden and he deceives Eve into disobeying God and what God has said. But what I want you to notice just from this is that Satan doesn't arrive in the garden as this massive dragon, intimidating dragon. He doesn't arrive there with all his demonic powers and armies. And he doesn't bring this force against Adam. Why? Because he knows he can't. (laughs) You know what? When you start to realize that you have more authority than him, that's a turning point. That's a turning point. That he's actually more scared of you than we should be of him. (laughs) It's a turning point in your life. 
So he doesn't come in like that because he knows that way he's going to get defeated. That way he'll be cast out quite easily. But what he comes into the garden with is just an idea. He arrives with this idea that maybe God is not as good as he, as he says he is. That maybe God is actually holding us back in some sort of way. That maybe God is actually restricting us and that he's trying to keep us from being all that we can be. This was the lie that he came to Eve with. No, if you eat that fruit, no, you won't die. No, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God. And he brings this lie, this idea that is contrary to what God has promised. It's contrary to the nature of God. And that idea, we know, being bought by Adam and Eve, resulted in the course of humanity changing, the course of their lives changing. It resulted, it had devastating effects in their relationship with God, in their relationship with each other, in their relationship with creation. It, that just buying that lie had massive consequences in, in their life. And so what do we learn from this? Well, we learn two things. That Satan's modus operandi is deception. That's what he does. And that deception has major consequences. In John 10, Jesus said this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the way that he does it is he doesn't show up in his armies. The way that he does it is through deception. He steals, he kills, and he destroys by getting us to believe what is not true about God, about ourselves, about men, about women, about your sexuality, about your future, about everything. That's his modus operandi. When, in, in John 8, 44, Jesus said this. He said, when the devil lies, he speaks his native tongue. <laughs> What's your native tongue? Right? Like a lot of us, you know, we, yeah, we, we speak English, but you've got a native tongue. All right? Like when, when the devil lies, he speaks his, his mother tongue. Why? Jesus said, because he is the father of lies. He is the father of lies. He's the father. He's the, the originator of everything in this world that is not true. And so the primary battle on earth is this. It's a battle for truth. The primary battle in your life is this, is how much truth will you believe? You know, if you believe a lie, it has devastating consequences in your life. You can live below what God has for you. Think about what the Israelites believed about themselves before they went into the promised land. Oh, we are like grasshoppers in comparison to these people. They believed a lie about who they were, about their identity, and the results of believing that lie was that they were restricted from entering into their future and destiny and purpose with God. How many of us sit here this morning and we're not walking in everything that God has for us because we believe some lie about ourselves? I'm not good enough. I'm not able. God is not for me like He's for other, peop for other people. Nothing really goes right in my life. I come from a bad background. My future doesn't look good. Nobody's ever succeeded in my family. Just think about all the attack, all those things that have come against your mind from the day you were born growing up. Why? It's to keep you from walking in what God has for your life. When you embrace 
truth. Jesus said this in John 8, 32. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When you embrace truth about who you are, when you embrace the truth about who God is, you are released, you are set free to live exponentially. You are set free to live in the blessing of God. Everything that God wants to do or can do in your life is based on truth. And your ability to grab that truth and live that truth and practice that truth will result in you experiencing a God reality here on earth. And so Satan knows that and so he cuts that. He goes for that. He is the father of lies. He comes against everything that is true in the word and has a lie for every single thing against it. I mean, think about in Mark chapter 6 when how Jesus was not able to do many miracles in, a particular, in his hometown. Why? Because of their unbelief. Because they did not believe the truth about who he was or what he could do in their life. How many of us go without the healing power of God, the divine provision of God, the breakthrough power of God because we don't believe that God is able? Or because we believe that maybe He's able, but He's not able in my life. He doesn't really work in my life. Like He's he's out there and He does it for other people, super spiritual people, but not for, for me. That lie is your enemy. That is not from God. It's been planted there by Satan. It's to restrict God from doing something wonderful in your life. And the more we can grab truth and process truth and digest truth and meditate on truth, the truth about who I am, the truth about my future, the truth about men, about women, truth about my sexuality, the truth about money, the truth about uh, the future, the truth about government, the truth about everything. The more we can gather the truth, the more we can experience and live in what God has for us. Relationally, spiritually, physically, the battle that you face is a battle for truth. That's why the Bible says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. But what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew your mind. Brainwash it. Go through a good brainwashing so that you can understand what the truth is because the more you understand the truth, the more you can live in what God has for you. So what we learn from this is that Satan is the deceiver. Unfortunately, you and I have the capacity to be deceived. That we do, hey? Oh, we don't really like that thought, eh? We don't like to, to think, well, I, I, you know, I, I'm not deceived. I, I am, I'm not deceived. Those people out there, they're, they're deceived in some we love, we love, We don't really like the idea that we could be deceived in some way. It's not really a nice thought to us, amen? Or am I the only one this morning? Are you alive out there? Are you okay? We don't like that thought, Amen? We always kind of like to think that, no, I'm fine with God and God and me and everything, we're fine. Well, that's great as long as you've got a scripture to back that up. As long as you've got some word that's, that's, that's kind of the anchor for everything that you do believe, then you, you can. You can stand in confidence. But if you're just like, because that's your idea, the Bible says take heed. If you think you're standing, take heed because you might actually be falling in that process. 
So what we learn is Satan is a deceiver. That's his modus operandi. That's his chief thing in this world. And, and we have the capacity to be deceived. And that deception has consequences. Big consequences. Life-changing consequences for us. I'm sure you can remember one time in your life where maybe you were deceived. You know, we were sitting the other evening with, uh, having dinner with our city leaders and <laughs> I was sharing a story about how this one time when I was much younger, much more innocent and gullible, how I was deceived into buying this amazing thing on TV. <laughs> there was this incredible product and the advert was so alluring and there was this guy who had like muscles and a six-pack and, and he was buff like anything. And I was like, you. And, and there's, he had this little machine, this little box. And he didn't have to do any push-ups or sit-ups to get <laughs> his six-pack. All he had to do was take these little suction things and, with these wires and stick them on his, on his abs. And then turn a button. And then you could just sit and watch TV. And these, this machine was like contracting and releasing his muscles and, and he was getting huge, and I was looking at this, and I was like, what phone, phone, oh, eight, six hundred, five, four, three, two, eight, yeah, pff, hi. <laughs> Give me one of those, please. Here's my credit card, here are my details, this thing arrived, and, and I got this package, and I, and I put this thing out, but I didn't know that this thing was from the pit of hell. That actually, it was a torture device. Not a fitness device in any way. And that it, when I put it on my body, it, it, it caused extreme pain. And m- the only muscles that worked out were my face because I was in, going like this. Yeah, like this. <laughs> I'm sure you have your own story of deception <laughs> in your life or how you were duped into buying something that really was promising a whole lot more than what you got. Deception is at work in the world. And sometimes we can be deceived in little things, but sometimes we can be deceived in big things as well. And sometimes we can even be deceived individually, and sometimes we can be deceived corporately as well. In fact, we could be deceived as an entire nation even in some sort of way. Let me give you a case in study, Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. You know, when when Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime took over Germany in 1933, they were able to successfully convince an entire nation that they were a superior race to all the other nations on the earth. Whenever you see a philosophy or an idea, I'm just going to give a little warning alert here, that is proclaiming that you are superior in some way, than anybody else on this planet, please understand that that does not have its origin in God. (laughs) All right? That that is actually an old satanic strategy. And you can see it all the way through the Bible of how he loves to make you think that you are superior to some other race, to some other people group or something. Whenever you hold to any sort of idea like that, please understand that you are walking the road of deception. You are falling into the trap of the enemy. There's an end goal in mind there. It's pride. It's, it's hate. It's bitterness. It's unforgiveness. There's something there and even genocide. Okay? 
or apartheid or something like that, the end result of that is only going to result in human suffering in some way. Okay? So his first strategy was with, the, with, the, with this nation was to convince them that they were actually more superior than any other nation on the earth, that they were like this select race, that the origin of all their problems and all that was wrong in the world were the Jewish people, and that somehow that they as a nation were called to conquer and rule the entire world and force the world to believe what they believed. Right? Now, a lie as big as that can't be done with one infomercial. <laughs> okay? It can't be just like one advert on TV or one speech. A lie like that requires a whole lot of energy, work, and strategy. And what you see with the Nazi regime is, is they employed, right from the moment they took power, and even before, they employed a strategy of propaganda through Joseph Goebbels, right? And they started a ministry of enlightenment. And they used music. They used theater. They made movies. They, they wrote songs. They uh, published articles. They took over newspapers. They took over radio stations. They literally owned the entire airwaves. And everything that was being communicated was this continual message that you are superior, that the Jews are the problem, that we need to take over the world. They even changed their education curricula in schools. It was a massive, momentous move of propaganda that was able to eventually incite and gather an entire nation around that belief. And you know, by looking at this as a case study this morning, what we do is we get a very good idea of how Satan works in the world today. This is what Hitler said in his book, Mein Kampf. He said, make the lie big, make it simple, keep saying it, and eventually they will believe it. That, we might as well just change his name then and say that that is like Satan, all right? The dragon, all right? That's the, that's the voice of Satan. I mean, who's the father of lies? <laughs> Satan, all right? So we know that like when we look at this, okay, we know where this is coming from, okay? This is a God complex as well. So make it big, make it simple, but keep saying it. Keep re- repeating it through whatever means you can, and eventually people are conditioned to it. They believe in it. This is why the Bible says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. Which means this, you need to know what the patterns in the world are. You need to be very aware, what are the patterns that are coming my way through the airwaves? What is the world trying to condition me into believing? To be aware of those and then renew my mind. Alright? So that I don't actually fall into the trap of this. Look at what else he said. He said, through skillful propaganda... Sorry, skillful propaganda can make people see heaven as hell or a wretched life as paradise. Like these really are, like, I mean, I feel like we're, we've just, you know, we've just been privy to a demonic council led by Satan and his demons. And, and we're listening to their boardroom meeting. Okay, and this is what, he, what they're saying. You know what, guys? Skillful propaganda can make people see heaven as hell or a wretched life as paradise. Skillful what? Propaganda can do that. And just think about, just pause on that for a moment and think about 
how Satan has actually successfully done that in the world we live in today. I mean, I don't know about you, but like when I grew up and the culture and the environment that I grew up in, a Christ-fearing, righteous life was painted as something that is so boring, so stiff, so old-fashioned, really not modern at all, closed-minded, fundamentalist, radical, or something like that, and a life of sin. Oh, so exciting, so cool, so awesome. Look, I mean, like all the famous people are doing it, and everybody's like that. And this is a looks, you know, he's, he's changed the wrappings. He's, he's taken the wrapping of heaven and he's put it on hell. And he's taken the wrapping of hell and he's put it on heaven. And there are many people who even to this day say, well, I don't want to go to heaven because, you know, it's going to be boring. None of the fun people are going to be there. Like, I've heard people say that. Why on earth would they say something like that? They're, they've been conditioned into thinking that, that heaven is something that's boring. They are so deceived. They are so deceived. And, and this is what Satan does. He tries to paint these pictures of, of, of how unrighteousness is amazing and how righteousness is not. Think about what he's doing at the moment with the homosexual and transgender agenda. In the world today. I mean, there, there, there is clearly an agenda to change public opinion on this matter. You would be a fool if you're sitting here today and you cannot see that agenda in every movie, song, or whatever is coming at us through the media. You'd be a fool if you cannot see that. It's everywhere. It'll be in a TV program. Then you'll watch it on a Netflix movie. Then you'll see it in a newspaper article. Then you'll see it on somebody's tweets. Then you'll see it on a Facebook status. Then you'll see it somewhere else and it's the same message and it's coming at you. And remember, there is a mastermind behind that who's trying to shape your mentality and your understanding away from what is true to what is not true, to something that is a deception. And the way, and I think the reason why he does that is actually because he's lazy. It's much easier to get you to destroy your own life than it is for him to destroy your life. I mean, because that's what it is. You know, if you believe a lie, he doesn't have to do anything else after that moment. All he has to do is plant that thought and send you on your way. And your way will lead to destruction because of that thought and idea that you hold in your mind is true. And you know, the sad thing is that I have even, this is like something that really pains my heart as a pastor. I've seen people even in this church who are Bible-believing, discipled, tongue-talking, Holy Spirit, Jesus-loving people who have left the faith and gone after life of homosexuality or a life of, of sin because in some way they got deceived into thinking that it's Okay. And why? It's because they were plugging into more of what the world was saying than what the Word is saying. You know, the Bible is clear in 1 Corinthians 6. It says, do not be deceived. In other words, you've got a choice in the matter. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the homosexuals, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. 
that all those unrighteous things mentioned there, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what we see here in, in, in this case study of Nazi Germany is, is really the modus operandi of how Satan works. We see it in that one nation. But we can also see through these other agendas how he's moving globally. It's a picture of how he works. He's actually the master of propaganda. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 said he's the prince of the power of the air. And like, I like to, the way I imagine that is, is like he's the prince of the airwaves. You know, he's controlling the mood, the culture, the landscape of nations, the, the prince of the power of the air. That's how he's referred to. There's no doubt when we look at the world today, he has a very tri- tight grip on the media. I mean, that's why in the Bible they call them the media knights. <laughs> oh, that was just a joke to just keep the atmosphere a little bit light while we're talking about the end times. Um, so, so knowing this, all right, knowing this, being aware of this as Christians, what we can say when we're talking about the Antichrist and the, and, and the falling away that's going to come before the, the son of perdition is revealed is that... Is that before we see the rise of the Antichrist in the earth, what we are definitely going to see is an incredible work of deception. Probably the finest work he's ever done. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9 to 11, it says the following. It says, The coming of the lawless one, or the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan. In other words, this is going to be orchestrated by himself. Not somebody else. He's not going to delegate this job. This is his job. With all power, with everything he's got, with signs and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So what we see here is that there is going to be a massive work of deception in the earth prior to the rising of the Antichrist. Lying wonders, all unrighteous deception. It's going to be like this all-out assault using every Twitter account he has, every Instagram account he has, every blog post, whatever he's got, everything he has to try and, and convince the world. Remember, the Antichrist is in opposition to Christ or in place of Christ to convince the world that this is the leader of the world. This is our savior. This is, and we spoke about it last week, it could be an empire, it could be a king, it could be a ruler or someone, but someone who's going to take that place as savior of the world. And it's going to be, there's going to be this massive lying deception around it. We see it in Nazi Germany. We see it in North Korea. We see it in Iran. We see types of these things happening. The only difference with the Antichrist that's coming is that this one will be global. This will be something that the whole earth will be buying into. And unfortunately, when it talks about this falling away, it's going to be, what it really means is that there's going to be many who fall away from sincere faith in Christ. There's going to be many who are deceived. There's going to be many who are duped by this. We do not have to worry. I believe we do not have to worry that this will like, catch us unawares. 
When we look at those words in Thessalonians, the falling away, it's actually the Greek word apostasia, which is where we get the word apostasy from. And the word apostasy means this. It means to forsake, rebel, or turn away, or deny. And it comes from the, the root word apostasion, which means to separate or divorce. So the falling away speaks about a, a conscious moving away from Christ in some way. It's a, it's a conscious decision to, to reject Christ, kind of like we see Peter denying Christ. We, it's, it's a moment where if, of choosing to walk away or forsake or rebel or turn away or divorce ourselves from Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew 10. He said, Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before the Father. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. There is something about our allegiance that is necessary in our faith. We can't say, yes, I'm for Jesus, but be for everything else the world is saying. The Bible is very clear that if we love God, we, we cannot love the world. If we love the world or anything in the world, then there is no love of God in us. Jesus drew the line very clearly in the sand. He was like, I'm looking for allegiance. In fact, the reason why it uses this word apostasia, apostasy, is because, and I, and I love the fact that it comes from the root word, which means divorce. Because our relationship with Christ is not something that we like mental assent to. Our relationship with Christ is of the highest relationship there is. It's a covenant relationship, like in marriage. That's why apostasy is, is seen as divorce. That's why in the Old Testament, when they ran after idols and worshipped idols, he said, you adulterers and adulteresses, because they, they had broken covenant with God. So some of us, we view our relationship with God as like, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian because I ticked that box. Or I, in my mind, I feel like that's who I am because I'm not a Muslim or a Hindu. Like, that's somehow the understanding. But the Bible is clear that when you choose to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior, you actually enter into a covenant relationship with God, which is like a marriage relationship. And in the same way, like, I, I, I'm committed and covenanted to Trish. I can't just go and take other women and live a life like that and, and then still be in this covenant over here. The moment I choose somebody else or go somewhere else, then I'm breaking what I have. And, and, and we've got to start to see that this is our relationship with God. It's a relationship of the highest degree and the highest commitment. God is not someone that you just kind of carry around with you because He's nice to have. It's a nice idea and I go to church because it's a nice thing to do. No, we are in covenant with Christ. We have entered into an agreement with of the highest degree, the highest loyalty, the highest level of commitment is what we call to in Jesus. And Jesus made it clear. He said, this is what I'm calling you to do. And if, if that's too much for you, then that's fine. But I'm not going to lower the standard. You see, a lot of people, when they hear this, they're like, okay. I don't mind God as long as God doesn't impact how I live my life and the choices I make and how I do marriage and how I do my finances. I'm a Christian, but my money is my money. 
and my time, my week, it's my week, then you're not a Christian. Then you're not. You've made another choice. And the Bible's clear about that, guys. I mean, I know that sounds like really strong today. But we've, we've got to get real about our faith. And I'd much rather, like, hit you hard with this here this morning because I know I, when you walk out of the doors, you're going to be hit hard trying to believe, in trying to get you to believe something else. That it's okay just to have, like, a wishy-washy understanding of Jesus Christ in your life and kind of lordship but not really lordship. That does not... That does not go well with Jesus. There will be many who come to him on that day and say, but Lord, I, I went to church and I did this and I did that. And he's going to be, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity or you lawless ones. In other words, you were a law unto yourself. You never entered into a covenant relationship and made me the Lord of your life. So many people would love to have just a, like a contract with God. Like terms and conditions, okay? I'm going to do church, I'm going to do prayer, I'm going to do that, but you do your part as well. And then I can have this contract with God and I can have a contract with the world and I can have a contract with, you know, a meditation guru as well. And I can have like, you know, I can have multiple contracts all in one. No, a contract is not on offer. There's only a covenant on offer here. And if that's too much for you, that's fine. Jesus is not standing trying to beg people to... He said, you know, if you love mother or father more than me, you're not worthy of the kingdom. Whoever puts his hands to the plow and looks back is not worthy of me, of the kingdom. In other words, I need to be the number one love in your life. I need to be the number one, the number one. Even in marriage, like the number one in my life is Jesus. He comes first even before my marriage. And a good marriage is where both spouses do that. You know, it's kind of like a triangle. Both of you on the bottom corners, you make Jesus the Lord and you, and you will find that your marriage will come together. You will get to no matter what's going on in your life. No matter how much you disagree with each other. Keep putting Jesus as Lord. And let me tell you something. You're on a track to unity. You're on a track. If so, but if you make a cover, if you start making Jesus not your Lord, listen, your, your marriage is going to pull apart. So it's fitting that they use this word apostasia here. Or it's a breaking of covenant. Jesus said in Matthew 12, He who is not with me, in the Amplified it says, definitely on my side, <laughs> I love that, is against me. And he who does not definitely gather with me and for my side scatters. There's got to be a Definitely. I think one of the, the biggest deceptions in the world today is that you can be a sort of Christian or have a form of godliness but not actually be definitely with Jesus. I think that is actually the most risky place to be because you actually think you're fine. But the Word is telling you you're not fine. You're not fine. So what what are we learning here is this, is that this falling away that's going to come is going to be in some way, there's going to be massive propaganda around it, there's going to be a massive trend in the world, it's going to be like the world is moving towards this way, this is the progressive way, and in some way, us as believers are going to have to make a choice. 
whether it's Jesus or this thing, this world system, this way of life, this new leader, or something like that. And, and, and unfortunately, it says that many will fall away and many will be deceived in that hour. You know, I was just, been, I was just I've been looking at persecuted nations through this. Are you still okay? I know I'm going on a bit longer this morning, but we kind of have to. This is kind of like a big meaty topic. Are you, are you fine, hey? We're doing some Bible study, okay? <laughs> We're getting deeper in the Word. You know, I was doing some like research on persecuted nations, and I found this like interesting article on an event that happened in China just like two or three years ago. As you know, the Chinese government is anti-Christian. All right, it's an atheistic government, and they do not like. Christ, okay? It's antichrist. There's a spirit of the antichrist moving in that nation to persecute Christians. And so the real church is actually underground church. There are some other fake churches which are allowed to operate, and those are the churches that somehow buy into the socialist agenda of the government. So they won't preach on certain things. And they will honor the government in their pulpits. <laughs> and then they can operate. It's happening. You know, so it's not far out there, okay? And it was interesting, they went to this one province where there's quite a high level of Christians. And it was in, in, in the Yung country, county of Changji province. I hope I said that right. And what they did was these government agents went around and they urged residents to replace personal religious displays with posters of President Xi Jinping. So if you had a cross in your home or a picture of Jesus or something like that, they came into your home and they were like, you need to replace that with here's a picture of your president. And what was interesting, the report is this, is that more than 600 removed Christian symbols from their living rooms and 453, it's quite specific, hung portraits of the communist leader according to what they wanted. And the reason is, the government said this, is they were on a campaign to alleviate poverty in the region. And they said, and they said this, that members believe fam- that the family's faith is to blame for their financial woes. The poster swaps in villagers' homes represents the party's desire to have residents look to their leaders rather than their saviors for assistance. Many poor households, they said, are plunged into poverty because of illness in the family, and some resorted to believing in Jesus to cure their illnesses. The head of the government campaign said, but we tried to tell them that getting ill is a physical thing and that the people who can really help them are the government. What, what really got me in this campaign, this, this thing, 600 removed 600 people removed Christian symbols and 453 hung those portraits. And that breaks my heart. But I have to ask the question, well, like, what would I do in the same circumstances? Would it be possible that in that moment, and, and actually the article goes on to say that, that, um, that they were denying government grants to those who wouldn't. And these are people in poverty. Okay, so they, you know, it's, Satan is the worst ever. He goes for the weakest. And he goes for where it hits us the most, the hardest. Alright? So this is the, the promise of food and a grant 
and, 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 and help, like we're your savior. Right? This is the beast in operation. This is the Antichrist in operation. Replace me with that poster of Jesus. And I wonder, like, put yourself in that circumstance. You get the knock on your door. Would there be something inside of me that says, no, it's fine, I can put that communist poster up. I'll take the cross down, but I'll like just put it next to my bed, like I, you know, where they can't really see it. Like, you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, that's that's the, the first way I think in my mind. No, it's fine, you know, come on in, but I, 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 I'll just keep my Jesus secret. And then, and then I go, well, well, is that denying Jesus in some way? And when I look at the word, I think it is. I think it is. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And I just, I just want this to be real to us this morning. Okay? I, I really want us to understand that this is not so far out or so far away that it could not happen in our own country. How do we avoid such apostasy? Well, Jesus said this in Matthew 22 and verse 29. He said, You are deceived because you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. Your faith is built on two things. Can you say two things? What are those two things? Knowing the Scriptures and the power of God. Your faith, alright, look at somebody this morning and say, Your faith is built on two things. Knowing the Scriptures and the power of God. If you know the Scriptures and you know the power of God, your faith will be a strong faith. You know, every single one of us, like, when it talks about the power of God, it's talking about your power encounters with God. And when I think about my power encounters with God, I think about being 14 years old and radically baptized in the Holy Spirit and beginning to speak in tongues even though I didn't know this thing existed. I remember that moment where the power of God fell through my body and I was baptized in this incredible love. It was a power encounter with God. I remember when God found me as an apostate, all right, many years later in my bedroom and rescued me. And I remember seeing hell and heaven and, and I remember His Spirit coming back into me. I remember the day when He called, the days where He took seven days and called me into ministry specifically. There was like these power prophetic encounters every single day for seven Seven days and I surrendered. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> I remember the, the, the power encounter when he told me to marry Trish. This this incredible moment where he spoke and it was just so clear and it was like I knew this was the woman for me and I need to get married to this woman. She had similar powerful encounters, just so you know. Um, <laughs> um, I, you know, I remember the, the prophetic words that have come at various points in my life, in, in dark moments in my life, where God has spoken and reached out to me and encouraged me. I remember the day I heard an audible voice in my room from the scriptures, whether it was the voice of God or a voice of angel, I don't know, but it was audible. I remember these moments, and these are the power encounters. These are the one moments that open us up to God, like God is real, the supernatural is real. I remember seeing people getting healed when we lay hands on them, and, and testimonies that come from that. I know all of these, but let me tell you something, your power encounters are not enough to sustain you for the days to come. They're wonderful, they're beautiful, but you also have to know the scriptures. 
Your power encounters are amazing. Okay, they, they, they're your life with God. They talk about your, your relationship with God. But you have to know the scriptures as, as well. Case in point, the Israelites saw many wonders coming out of Egypt. They saw Egypt getting, you know, fire and brimstone rain. They saw frogs. They saw, you know, cattle dying. They saw incredible miracles. They saw the Red Sea open up. They saw, you know, God provide water out of a rock. They were fed with manna every single day, people. Yet none of them entered into the promised land of that generation except Joshua and Caleb. And you see, this is it. If, if all you're basing your relationship with God on is power encounters, all these Holy Spirit moments, you are in danger of being deceived. Why? Because Jesus talks about the false prophets and, and the false Christs to come. And He said they will do all sorts of signs and wonders to deceive even the elect. And if the foundation of your faith is just power encounters, then you're on a shaky foundation. You also have to know the Scriptures. You know, when you know the Scriptures, when you know the Scriptures, then all your power encounters have a context and a foundation for which they can then stand on and and a story for which they can fit into. You have to have both in order to have a solid faith. In 1 Peter 3 verse 15, Peter exhorted them and said, Always be able to give a logical defense for you the faith and the hope that you have in Christ. Always be able to give a what? A logical defense. Listen, if you cannot put your word, your, your faith into words and back it with scripture and reason and logic and philosophy, you are on a shaky ground. You're on a shaky ground. If you do not know the scriptures, you're on a shaky ground. And it's not only just knowing the scriptures, but it's exalting the scriptures in your life as the highest authority. It's, it's making this like the, the word for your life. It's making this the standard for your marriage, of how you think financially, of how you think relationally, that, that this thing governs everything I do. It's, it's not, when Jesus spoke about it, it's knowing the scriptures, it's about, it's like when you, when, when you said the word know, it's like own them. It's like, like embracing them. It's like beholding them. It's like owning them in your life. Okay, that's what he meant. It's like that same thing like when, when Jesus was saying difficult things and all the crowds started walking away. And he looks at Peter and he's like, the other disciples are, are you going to go too? It's like, where can we go? You have the words. You have the words of life. In other words, we've made a commitment to this. And this, these are the words of life. We can't go anywhere else, okay? And that's how, that's how all of us should think about this. And, and the flip side of this is true as well, is that we, we need to have solid understanding and ownership of the Scriptures, but we also need to have some empowering encounters. You know, I've, I've seen people grow up with like a religious, they know the Scriptures, they, they know everything that Jesus did, but they've never encountered God. They've never heard God. They've never received prophetic words. They've never felt the Spirit of God touch them. They haven't yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with the wonder-working power of God. Let me tell you something. That's also shaky ground. Because Satan knows the Word as well. Okay? So, so, so you know, if you just know the Word and your faith is just logical, rational, reasonable, you're in danger of being reasoned out. 
Because you know, Satan can come with very convincing arguments like evolution and and he can and he can come with arguments against the authenticity of the scriptures and he can get you confused and if your faith is just rooted in there like I mean I felt this as a young man like many of my friends when I came to Christ were like how can you trust this old book like this is not like you cannot believe this is the word of God like the way we got here is through evolution the way we get anywhere in life is through science are you mad to believe this thing and I'd be like but I can talk in tongues and I've encountered him and I've heard him and I can't deny that. <laughs> you know, and, and my power encounters kept me. But there wasn't an, I had to then go and study the word and get my scripture and get the confidence that this is the inspired word of God. And now today I have both. I got these power encounters and I've got this confidence in the word of God. I can tell you this is the infallible word of God. This is, this is truth. If you want to know truth, this is it. If you're confused about your life, get into this. If you don't know how to do your relationships, get into this. If you don't know where you're going in life, just get into this. Everything good starts with this. Just start with this. Start reading this. Start studying this. Get into this. And if you have both, you will stand strong. There's two other things worth mentioning on this. When we're talking about the falling away. And that is... We need to make a distinction between the church and pastors and leaders and God. Your faith cannot be so tied to the church or the leaders in a church that when they fail or when the church hurts you in some way that you stop following this. You know... I've met so many Christians who have been hurt by the church. Listen, I've been hurt by the church. I've had every single reason to leave this church. I've been in this church for 20 years. 20 years. I've gone through multiple leadership changes, multiple changes, philosophy changes, modus operandi changes. I've gone through... Klebs, you were there. You've been there with me most of that journey. We've been through stuff in this church. I've been hurt plenty times. I've been hurt relationally. I've been hurt, you know, by leaders. I've, I've had every reason to leave. But you know what? There's a, dis, there's, a, there's a distinction in my mind. The church and leaders are not God. And they're not this word. Okay? So even though my leaders have failed me many times, and I, you know, I've failed some of you many times as well, okay? I've, I've, I've had pastors, my pastor, first pastor was taken out of ministry, taken out of the church. Second one, same thing happened. I've had many leaders disappoint me over the years, but there's a distinction. They're not God. And they're not a reason for me now to stop obeying this. All right? There's a distinction. <clears throat> Secondly, I want to also just say that on, on this point of falling away, is that what I've also seen is that a lot of people are disappointed in God. And so there has to be some sort of theology in your life for pain, for suffering, for disappointment, and for persecution. There has to be something, some sort of theology. Because, you know, a lot of Christians buy into this theology of prosperity only. Right? There's like, I'm going to become a Christian and like, 
man, I've got this genie in a bottle, and I'm like just going to have this incredible life, and he's going to bless me, and he's like he's totally for me and not against me, and like it's you know he's going to prosper me, and I'm going to do well. Okay, what happens when that business fails? What happens when that marriage fails? What happens when your friend dies? What happens when you, you, you experience crime in some sort of way? There has to be some theology in you when it comes to disappointment, when it comes to hurt, when it comes to you know, things not working. And let me tell you something. There's lots of theology in here for that. There's lots in here that can help you with that. Jesus said, in the world you're going to have tribulation and trial and distress. He never actually promised us just this like green grass and you're going to jump through the daisies and you're just going to hear this song of Kumbaya the whole time. It's not in here, okay? There's actually a lot of warnings about persecution and suffering and, and all sorts of things that can come. And you need to have this ability in you to discern, okay, I'm disappointed, I'm hurt by life and by circumstances. It hasn't worked out the way I thought it would work out. And, and have a theology for that, that that doesn't get you to deny the truthfulness of this and walk away from the living God. Amen. So... In conclusion, <laughs> in conclusion, Satan's chief work in the earth is deception. And before the rise of the Antichrist, we're going to see this on steroids. Are we going to see like the biggest propaganda campaign like never before? Movies, TV, radio, every Twitter account, newspaper, education, curriculum, art. Music, we're going to see this incredible work of deception in the earth. And you know, when I was thinking about this message, I had to ask the question Is this happening already? (laughs) Or is this still something in the future? (laughs) I think it's happening already. I think it's, it's actually the, it's hard at work already. You know what? We've become very good, and I'm, I'm speaking mainly about, I don't know, me and Tricia, but I hope for you too, but we've become pretty good as Christians at filtering and sifting through what we consume in the media today. You know, we, we, we choose movies. Okay, no, that's not Christ-honoring. That's not Bible-believing. That's You know, we choose... Uh, Articles, and we choose uh, to follow certain things, and 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 we we we're pretty good at going. Okay, no, that's 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 not right. That's that opinion in that newspaper or that radio interview. That's how the world thinks. That's how other people think. That's how you know. That's that's not Bible. That's not biblical standard or whatever like that. We we're pretty good at sifting. I hope we are, and choosing narratives and stories and movies and things that that actually only are Christ honoring. And for the most part, we think that we are okay. Why? Because we still have the freedom to do what we we can do in terms of worshiping Jesus. But what we don't realize is this, and this was really an eye-opener to me, is that many people in the world today don't have the filter that you have. For them, they are consuming a diet that is extremely anti-Christ, anti-God, 
full of idolatry, man worship, money worship. And it's driving them increasingly further away from biblical truth. We can see it in marriage. We can see it in family values. We can see it in finances. We can see it in governments. Listen, I can tell you something. If our government builds on this, we will prosper as a nation. If we build on this, we will prosper. If we go after communist or socialist ideals, if we start to build on other philosophies, we will crash as a nation. Truth is what brings freedom and light and liberty. Okay? It, but, but does our government know that? And all the people who are in power know that. You see, we're living in a world where we're sifting through and we're choosing, and what we're not realizing is that they don't have that filter. And they're consuming a whole bunch of stuff that is anti-God and anti-what the Word says. And we must know that there's an end goal in mind when we talk about the Antichrist. That at some point, the master behind all the propaganda is going to tip the public opinion scale and being a Christian will no longer be acceptable in society. And often we think we're so far from that. Well, hang on. Religious freedom is being debated right now in our parliament. Many nations that were previously Christian and open to the gospel are becoming increasingly close to the gospel. The stuff that we are starting to teach in schools. I might even get thrown into jail in the future for preaching about biblical sexuality from this pulpit. Because it could be hate speech. That's on the table right now. You know, we mustn't think that, okay, because we're filtering everything, that the rest of the world is filtering anything. No, their minds have been blinded by the enemy so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. And at some point, the enemy will love to just tip the scale of public opinion and what is socially acceptable, and suddenly it's not good to be doing what we do as Christians. And that's where you and I will be tested. That's the falling away. That's where you and I, and we have to know now, I want to know, will you stand in that day? I need to labor hard here. The leaders in this church, we've got to labor for truth and give you growth plans like Trish was talking about so that you can get solid foundations in the scripture because our goal is to make sure that in that day you stand for Jesus and you confess him before men so that he will then confess you before the Father. Will we stand in that day? I said it to you each Sunday in the last two. If I take you out of South Africa and put you in a closed nation, are you still a Christian? And I'm not talking about a nominal Christian. You know what the word nominal means? Of little or no value. It's just like a, a veneer of Christianity. Like, yeah, I go to church, yeah, 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 Jesus, because I'm not all the other things. I'm talking about a solid covenant with Jesus, where he's your Lord, he's your Savior, and you're following him, and you're following his word more than anything else. Amen. Come and stand to our feet and pray. I know this is quite like a sobering word and like hard hitting. 
But I think it's good. We need, we need a little bit of this sometimes, okay? Um, can we just take a moment to pray? Let's bow our heads and just close our eyes and just invite the Holy Spirit just to come and move amongst us. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Just touch. Take these words. Whatever is of you, Lord, just make it sink deep in our hearts. Whatever is not of you, Lord, just wash it away. Let the truth remain in us, Lord. Let the truth remain in us. Make us men and women who are strong and solid. We know what we believe and why we believe it. Lord, I pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom revelation and the deep understanding of who you are. That our minds and hearts will be guarded, Lord God, against the anti-Christ propaganda of this world. And I pray this morning, Father God, that you would make us solid, strong and immovable, knowing the scriptures and knowing your power, Lord God. And we will be men and women who come what may, Come what may, we will praise you, we will confess you before men, before governments, before kings, before whoever we need to, and we will not compromise in some way. We will not give our souls to the enemy in some way. We will not break our covenant with you. Saints, if you're here today and you have not yet made Jesus Lord of your life. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Maybe while I've been talking, while I've been speaking, you've been convicted in your heart. Maybe you've just realized that, man, I've got more of a contract with with God than a covenant. I haven't yet given my allegiance to Jesus and chosen to follow Him more than following this world and following the things of this world. And if that is you today, I want to lead you in a prayer of commitment. Sometimes it just seems like just a simple thing, like a prayer, but it is profoundly powerful. It's a prayer you're going to confess Him now as your Lord and as your Savior. And your eternal destiny can change in that moment. If that's you and you want to make that commitment today, I'm just going to ask you, before we pray, just raise your hand so I know that you're here that's you. You want to give your life completely to Jesus and make a commitment. If that's you, raise your hand this morning. I want to see where you are so I know who I'm praying with. Thank you. Anybody else you want to raise your hand and join? If you're online, you can raise your hand as well. (laughs) But please let us know and let's pray together. I want to lead you in a prayer. You can say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father. Everybody else, you can pray it as well to help them. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I choose Jesus. I choose to make Him my Lord. I choose to make Him my Savior. Jesus, I give you my life today. My future, 
my past, my present. I give it all to you. And I commit today to following you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. You are my Lord. You are my God. I confess you today as my God and my Savior. Come into my heart. Come into me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me up. Empower me to live for you. Amen. Amen. You've prayed that prayer. We celebrate you. If you pray that prayer and you're online, please just drop us a message so we know we can help you with your next steps. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you here, please, please come to the front as I close the service now. And I'd like to just talk with you for a moment. Is that okay? Otherwise, for the rest of us, go enjoy the last of your long weekend. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll see you again during the week for revival prayer. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining Church Online today. We hope that you were inspired and challenged by today's message. We would like to encourage you to join one of our connect groups where you can make friends and discuss the word further. You can message us on 072-606-6747 to join a connect group or to send us any prayer needs you might have. To give your tithes and offering, please visit our website www.endurban.org to get our bank details and zapper code. Have a safe and blessed week.